You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You are now entering the Pseudo-Archaeology Podcast, a show that uncovers what's fact, what's fake, and what's fun in the crazy world of pseudo-archaeology. Welcome to the Pseudo-Archaeology Podcast, episode 110. I am your host, Dr. Andrew Kinkella, and tonight, water erosion and the Sphinx. What does water erosion have to do with the age of the Sphinx? If you thought nothing, you'd be right. Okay, my friends, here we are with another classic of classics, the water erosion hypothesis. And good God, I use the term hypothesis very lightly and with a note of comedy. So this is one that I've heard a lot, and I I never understood the exact premise of this. I never understood what they were getting at. It just always sounded weird to me. And the reason why I thought I'd do the water erosion hypothesis today is that you've heard me talk about this for the last, you know, maybe two or even three episodes. I'm still getting a lot of angry notes on my YouTube channel where I made fun of Graham Hancock, you know, where I did the little like Atlantean skull and, and, you know, People weren't happy with that. So I keep getting this, these angry missives. And one of the main things that they will say is like, well, as soon as you disprove the water erosion hypothesis of the Sphinx, then maybe I'll believe you, right? It's literally one of the, easily one of the top two or three comments that I get kind of over and over again. So much so that I would say that the water erosion hypothesis is a tentpole of pseudo-archaeological thought. It really is one of these major ideas that they all swarm back to. So I thought I would dig into it and kind of figure out, you know, where did this idea come from? Is there any validity to it? Hey, you know, I'll, I'll. Keep an open mind. And of course, what we're talking about is the Sphinx, right? The Great Sphinx of Giza. A number one, the famous one, right? And the idea here is that when you look at the Sphinx, the sides are kind of eroded, right? They, they look like they've kind of been around for a long time. They look like a hill that's kind of, kind of crumbly. Yeah? So... How did it get that way? The water erosion hypothesis says that it has eroded due to rainfall and, you know, 
in a natural way, but that the amount of erosion we see today needed many thousands of years to occur. So the Sphinx, as we see it in modern archaeology, would date to around 4,500 years ago, right? So somewhere in the vicinity of like 2,500 BC, more or less. And we'll, we'll talk more about the specifics later. But it would go with the old kingdom pharaohs of the time, of the pyramids of Giza that are right behind it, right? It, it should date the same as all that other stuff, which is to around 2,500 BC, plus or minus, give or take. And the water erosion hypothesis people say, no, no, no. It's not 4,500 years old. It's like 13,000 years old. Hmm. Have we heard 13,000 years old before? Let me see. Ah, right. It's right at the end of the last ice age. You know, when they keep pushing that huge complex civilization that was destroyed at the end of the ice age. Well, friends, the water erosion hypothesis obviously proves that there was an ancient civilization heretofore unknown, symbolized by the Sphinx. And just hearing me say that, you just know it's lame. You know, you just know it's going to be a big party of stupid. And unfortunately, it is a big party of stupid. And, you know, I don't know why I do this. I, I had hope for this one. <laughs> and by hope, I mean that I thought there was going to be a background to this story that had some had some weight to it. You know what I mean? That like. When I figured it out, when I looked at the, the history of it, I'd be like, oh, OK. Oh, I can see why people used to think that. What I thought was the erosion hypothesis would have been a real scientific idea that they had like 100 years ago, you know, or 150 years ago, which would have been a good guess right at the time. They didn't know any better. So they just kind of went, oh, hey, it might be older because of this erosion. But no, it's not nearly that good. This idea starts in the 1950s with a French mystic. You heard it correct, friends. We're starting with a French mystic. So this is just. See, I don't, I don't even have. Where are the words? You know, we're starting with the ideas of a mystic. Is that is that what we're doing here? Yeah, I guess that's what it, we're doing. So this idea gains a little bit of traction in the pseudo archeological circles. And then it's picked up again in the latest 1970s and into the eighties, right? By somebody who is labeled an alternative Egyptologist, not a normal one, you know, an alternative one. It's like alternative music. Not really. It's just silly, but how many times have we heard this story, right? Where, where it just an atrociously, idiotic idea gets thrown out there and then it kind of gets re-upped about every 20 years or so there's a push you know and then it kind of goes away and then it kind of comes back so come the french mystic brings it up in the 50s then it gets pushed again in the late 70s and then it gets pushed again in 1990 by a pseudo geologist i know ooh, pseudo archaeology we have some competition there's pseudo geology out there. <laughs> In all this, 
they break the major rules of science, which is don't push your pet idea for the sake of the pet idea. You have to look at the evidence, which, of course, they don't. And they just push this erosion thing forever and ever in a day, even though it's just silly. Now, why do I think it's silly? You know, you're, you're like, hey, Kinkella, come on, don't be so harsh. Why can't the erosion thing kind of have some weight? Here's why. I actually have some experience with pyramids. Now, not Egyptian ones, but I do have experience with Maya pyramids. And I've seen a whole ton of Maya pyramids, you guys, from all different areas of southern Mexico and Guatemala and Belize, right? I've been to dozens of archaeological sites. And I can tell you this, that the Maya pyramids that are made out of limestone, and by the way, the Egyptian pyramids are made out of limestone as well. It's the same sort of stone. I can tell you that the limestone really varies in quality. You have some veins of limestone that are nice and, and strong and, and dense, right? That'll last a real long time. And then you have other layers of limestone that are really just kind of crumbly and not that great. So you can really see variety definitely between sites in the, in the Maya world, right? In terms of some sites just happen to have good limestone where they were built. Others, not so much. Even within a site, sometimes you can see that, you know, a certain pyramid might have been built with just slightly better limestone. Like the, it's like when they were quarrying it, ooh, they just hit an extra good vein of it for a while or something. I've really seen the differences. You'll see stone blocks that have been carved, you know, that were carved out a thousand years ago that still look really great, even though they've been exposed to the elements. And you'll see other ones that are just crumbly and look awful. And so that's what we see here. The backstory of, you know, why is the Sphinx there in that position is all around the Sphinx, that's where they were quarrying for the stones for the Great Pyramids. Again, the Great Pyramids are right behind them, right? Right behind the Sphinx, rather. So they quarried down, and I'm sure they took all the good stone, and right in the middle there was one last blob that was just really crappy stone, and they're like, why should we cut this and make bricks out of it? It's just not going to be very good anyway. I know. We'll leave this blob here and we'll put a human head on it and some lion paws on it and we'll make a sphinx. Done. Right? That's what that is. It's crappy limestone to begin with. So it's going to erode at a quicker rate than the norm. Right? And so everything works out. Do you ever hear the quicker erosion because the limestone is crappy hypothesis? No. And it's because these alternative Egyptologists <laughs> want to just push this same tired idea that top secretly the Sphinx is, they'll say either 10,000 years old or 13,000 years old, whatever, we'll be right in there, right? And they need that to push their Atlantis narrative. I know you guys you are like, no, Kinkella, no, don't say Atlantis. Yeah, Atlantis. So behind all this is a push for the Atlantean model. Let's go with that. That they've been doing since the French mystic of the 1950s in terms of the how the Sphinx wraps into all this. So if I ever bring up my 
crappy limestone hypothesis, these people never go for it, right? They, they can't because their house of cards falls in terms of all their fringe ideas. So it, it just never plays well. Again, you guys, you know, at, at the end, in terms of this idea, it's just so ascientific, right? Non-scientific. I just, I was really expecting so much more on this one. And they did not deliver. And you know what? In retaliation, when we return, I'm going to tell you the real story of the Sphinx. Deal with it. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Pseudo-Archaeology Podcast, episode 110. And today we've been discussing the water erosion hypothesis for the Sphinx, the idea that the Sphinx is secretly 10,000 years old or more, and modern archaeology has been fools by dating it to around 4,500 years old to match with the rest of the stuff on the Giza Plateau. So let's, let's take a little step to the side and tell the true story of the Sphinx. So like I said, the Sphinx was made sort of in the same area on Giza as as the Great Pyramids, you can see them together. I'm sure in your mind's eye, you can see those famous images where you see the Sphinx and right behind it are the three famous pyramids on, on the Giza Plateau. And again, all the quarrying for those bricks for those pyramids were done right around where the Sphinx is today. That's why the Sphinx is kind of in a hole, right? This is like quarried out all the stone around it and they left that little crappy limestone blob. And again, they put a, a Ahead and some paws. So, which pyramid specifically is the Sphinx related to? The Sphinx is related to the pyramid of Khafre. Now, Khafre is the middle one in Giza. You have a grandfather, a father, and a son. The grandfather's pyramid is the Great Pyramid. That's the tallest one. That's the pyramid of Khufu, right? Sometimes it looks a little smaller actually, in the photos because of the angle you're taking it from. If you're taking a photo of Giza and the Sphinx is kind of front row center, the Sphinx is, is related to Khafre's, not Khufu's. So the Great Pyramid looks a little further away because it's kind of over to the side, but it is the tallest one. That's the biggest one, is the Pyramid of Khufu. Khufu's son is Khafre. Khafre's is the second biggest one. It's pretty close, but it's not as big as Dad's. Khafre is the one that the Sphinx is related to. The face on the Sphinx is the face of Khafre. It makes sense. 
the face of the Sphinx is the face of the guy that's inside the pyramid right behind it. Right. And then Khafre's son, Menkare, gets the littler pyramid on the side. Right. And by littler, it's still huge by the standards of everything else. I believe the small one is taller than 200 feet, which is amazing. The pyramids, they, they do deserve their spot on one of the seven original wonders of the world. I mean, they really are that great. This even coming from a Mayanist, I, I have enough honesty within me to admit. Yes, indeed. The uh, pyramids of the Giza Plateau are indeed fantastic. So how do we know, right, that the Sphinx is related to the second pyramid, Khafre's? It's because the pyramids in Egypt, they're actually part of pyramid complexes, meaning that every single pyramid, they, they don't just stand alone by themselves. If you look at an aerial photo of the area of the Giza Plateau, the area is like divided up where each pyramid has a bunch of outbuildings that go with it. Right. So, again, they're not just alone. It's like it's like a complex. That's why they call it pyramid complexes. So the Sphinx is one of the outbuildings in the pyramid complex of Khafre. And what were these outbuildings for? There's there's other there's shrines and this kind of thing. There's smaller. You can see it in the photos. Right. You can see the smaller pyramids for other royal family members. Right. That are related to the pharaoh. When the pharaoh's body is brought down the Nile, you know, obviously after he dies, there are, of course, a bunch of rituals done on the way. It's like you have rituals when you put them on the boat, the rituals as the boat goes down the Nile, the rituals as the boat stops at Giza, and then rituals as you bring the body to certain locations where these shrines are until the body is, of course, finally entombed in the pyramid. And again, these pyramids are funerary monuments, right? They really are a monument to one person built in one long construction event, you know, very different than the Maya stuff, actually. The Maya ones are funerary monuments, too, but they are built in kind of pieces over time that they're added on to. And so you can have many, several family members in the same one. So this is a singular building. And then the Sphinx is just this really interesting outbuilding that goes with the Khafre Pyramid Complex. Now, in terms of dating, Khafre rules from around, oh, 2558 to 2532 BC or so. That's smack in the middle of the Old Kingdom. And that is the Fourth Dynasty. I think we could say that the Fourth Dynasty is probably the most famous one of the old kingdom the old kingdom tends to number between uh what is it i think it's is it three and six i'm pretty sure it's three and six and what we have to know in egyptology is this sort of pyramid building thing it's very different in the new kingdom which which comes a thousand years later right the time of king tut and that kind of thing is much much later you know the time of king tut is in the arena of like 1300 bc this is a thousand years plus before King Tut. Pretty old. Even for the time of King Tut, these were ancient. So Old Kingdom, Fourth Dynasty, hmm, right around 2500 BC. Now, because the Sphinx is so unique and Giza is such an incredible site, later Egyptian royalty tried to tie the Sphinx 
to their reign. And what I mean by that is much, much later in the 18th dynasty. So this is New Kingdom. 18th dynasty is the time of King Tut. Another pharaoh, Tutmos IV, put up what's called the Dream Stella in front of the Sphinx. So if you've seen photos of the Sphinx, the Sphinx is kind of a light tan color. There's this darker stone that's like right in between the paws, you know, and it is a Stella, right? The Stellas look like large tombstones, but that's not what they are. They're large carved monuments and they carve their carves and they talk about what this great pharaoh did. You know, it's very much propaganda. It's always like that. And in this case, what Tutmosis IV is doing is he's relating himself to his ancestors of a thousand years ago, right? And he's going, hey, you see these guys? I'm related to these guys. So you need to do what I say because I'm powerful like these guys. I am them. So I'm great. I mean, we still do that to this day, right? We do it. Rulers do it through relationships. Rulers do it through architecture like that. You know, I mean, how many colleges out there have Roman and Greek columns? You know what I mean? It's like, oh, because they want to look like Plato is hanging out at UCLA. You know, it's like, whatever, man. But they do that for a reason, because we as humans go, oh, columns. Oh, they must be pretty smart. You know, oh, they must be pretty important. <laughs> I mean, look at the White House <laughs> columns, right? So it's nothing new. We're going to build things to make ourselves look more powerful. And so you end up with this, this interesting dream Stella thing of, of a much, much later ruler trying to attach himself to the great Sphinx. Interesting sidebar on the dream Stella. The dream Stella itself, the actual stone, is a door lintel that he took out of the Pyramid of Khafre. And what a door lintel is, it's, it's the cross piece above the door. So if you look at a door right now, and it's, it's that straight piece of wood right above it. So in this case, it's a huge piece of stone that he ripped out, put in front, and that's like a double whammy. Yeah, I just carved on a piece of the pyramid itself, and then I put it out in front of the Sphinx, to show you how great I am. And I can do that because I'm related to these people and I'm great. So you have these fantastic stories that go with the Sphinx, right? We don't need some stupid water erosion thing. And it's so sad. Just think about how much time has been spent on the dopey water erosion hypothesis when we could spend more time just talking about the Dream Stella. The Dream Stella kicks ass, right? Oh, another thing that comes up about the Sphinx, I just want to talk in terms of reality. You hear this story that Napoleon's armies shot the nose off the Sphinx. That is not true. Now, it does look like the Sphinx's nose was broken off intentionally, but it was much before that. It was like a thousand years ago. So it, it happened, oh, sometime in the, you know, first kind of several centuries AD, sometime, let's say between like, Three or 400 AD and maybe 1,000 AD. So it happened a long, long time ago. I will also say that how we see the Sphinx today, all the sand has been cleared out, right? When the sort of famous early explorers got there 200 years ago, you know, or more, they could walk basically up to the head because the body of the Sphinx would have been covered with a bunch of sand there. Because remember, it's a low point. That area had been 
used as a quarry to quarry the stone out. So when you have sandstorms and whatever, that sand will sit there. So it was easier to reach the nose to break it off 1,500 years ago. So where does that bring us with this great sphinx, this amazing thing that Egyptians built 4,500 years ago? Not 10,000 years ago, but real people did it 4,500 years ago. Where does that bring us? That brings us, of course, to the last bit of this podcast, which we'll talk about when we return. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome back to the Pseudo-Archaeology Podcast, episode 110. And we have been discussing the water erosion hypothesis and the Great Sphinx, right? This idea that the Sphinx is top secretly 10,000 or 13,000 years old, and I've been keeping this from you the whole time. Well, I have. Yes, I've been keeping it from you the whole time. I secretly have gone over there doing my studies at night, and, well, you know I'm just lying. Like, come on. You know, I just... It's so funny, you guys. I, I I don't know where to take it sometimes. It's it's so foolish at its base. And as we've done this deep dive into the water erosion hypothesis and, and realize it was started by a French mystic, isn't that enough? Just right there? Like, oh, it was started by a mystic. And it can it just be kind of a funny story that we say on the side and move on with our day? But we can't. You know, there, there's a quote that I really like from another archaeologist that I think really kind of sums this up. And this is by an archaeologist named Mark Lenner. And he has worked in Egypt for, for decades. He says, you don't overthrow Egyptian history based on one phenomenon, like a weathering profile. That is how pseudoscience is done, not real science. There you go. Perfect. You know, as we do archaeology, there's always things we find that might be a little off kilter or at first to not seem to make 100% sense. You know, I've experienced this in my own career where you, where you, you might find, again, one thing that, that seems to not quite fit, but we can't cherry pick like that. We have to go with the other 99 things that do fit perfectly, right? And we'll be able to explain away the last one. I think that as we look back, I think you can explain away the water erosion idea very easily, right? It's not even hard. That, that's the, another thing. I thought this was going to be harder. 
You know, I thought there was going to be some other side where I could go. Yeah, well, you know, it, it could have taken 10,000. No, it couldn't have. It just didn't. <laughs> you know, again, and my my own experiences really informed me in this. I've seen limestone with a different, you know, looking very weathered because it was a very poor quality. And I could see how when you see really crappy limestone, you would just naturally think, oh, that one's been out in the elements a lot longer than that other piece that looks pristine. And it's like, no, it's because it's crappier quality. In terms of the other 99 facts that would point to the Sphinx being made at the same time as the Great Pyramids, I mean, you guys can probably list these with me. First, in order to make something like the Sphinx, you need a large, organized population. So this was not just a small group of hunter-gatherers. This was a large population that had farming in order to get surplus that could feed and house construction workers and support an entire support system where you know hundreds of people could work on this over a long period of time with an overarching plan, right? That just demands a large, complex society for something of that scale. It just does, right? And you don't get that at any other time until in that area until dynastic Egypt, right? So the idea that it happened 10,000 years ago is is silly. It's ludicrous. Going back to that idea of this long vanished super civilization, there is no evidence for that. None. This idea that it got washed away at the end of the last ice age. One of one of my big questions for them would be, didn't people in this master civilization of 10,000 years ago, didn't they build cities anywhere besides on the coast? No. Didn't like Denver? No. <laughs> just L.A. and Miami. That's it. You know, it just it makes no sense, you guys. Nothing. And, and so this whole foolish house of cards and really it's ultimately to prop up Atlantis. I swear. And it feels funny and weird. You're like, why well, got to prop, prop up Atlantis? But that's what it is underneath. And I think it, it works in lockstep with the good old creationism debate. So you have this idea that there were Atlanteans as this, you know, master race of people who taught everyone else what to do. And they were the first. See, because it's a young earth, right? So it kind of wraps around with some of that biblical stuff where we're now arguing that the earth itself is very, very young. So, so those groups that have no facts at all on their side kind of work together in a really vague, positive relationship. Because even if you, if you try and push them down on specifics, it starts to even not make sense. Even their foolish ideas don't go together. It's like, well, if you want to be creationist about it, then the Earth is only 6,000 years old. You know, oh, but the Atlanteans are 10,000 or now Graham Hancock's going with 13. You know, it's just it's a waste of everyone's time. Isn't it so much more fun to talk about the dream, Stella? Isn't it so much more fun to talk about Khafre and the fourth dynasty? You know, oh, I love those stories. I go all day on that. You know, I don't want to talk about French mystics and 
pseudo geologists. <laughs> Although I kind of want to be a pseudo geologist. <laughs> that looks like limestone. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Wait, isn't that basalt coming out of that volcano in the form of lava? No, no, no. It's dragon's blood. Oh, okay. Okay. When can we stop giving media time to all this? You know? And again, it does keep me employed. I get that. But I just uh, wish there was a way out of this conundrum. You know? I wish we didn't have to make these terrible deals with the devil where, like, the only way to have a moment to talk about real archaeology is to talk about all this fake stuff. You know? I would love just a solid entertaining, exciting, funny show on real archaeology. Wouldn't that be great? Oh, I would dig that. I know it's possible. You know, I've never really seen it be done now. You know, I think they cracked the code in astronomy because, again, I think Neil deGrasse Tyson's Cosmos is awesome. I think that is the gold standard. That show is is interesting. It's exciting. It's dynamic. They use all different kinds of media in order to tell the story. There's cartoons, right? It's, it's just excellently done. I can't, I can't give that one enough props. We need that kind of Cosmo show in archaeology. But until then, we're stuck with the water erosion hypothesis. And with that, I'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening to the Pseudo Archaeology Podcast. Please like and subscribe wherever you like and subscribe. And if you have questions for me, Dr. Andrew Kinkella, feel free to reach out using the links below or go to my YouTube channel, Kinkella Teaches Archaeology. See you guys next time. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Become.